You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. How are we doing tonight? We're good? Isn't life a funny thing? You know, I wish that in life um, they gave you like survivor's guides to certain things in life. Um, like for instance, I wish that when I was be- becoming a teenager, I wish that there was like a survivor's guide to acne at school. I wish they had that. Anyone else wish they had that? I wish there was a survivor's guide to noticing girls when you were young. I wish there was a survivor's guide to that. Um, I wish there was a survivor's guide to marriage. I think it would have helped me a lot in my marriage first getting married. Like, for instance, i got a survivor's guide here. I wish that I knew that if I have $20 and my wife has $5, she has $25. I wish that I knew that, right, going into marriage. I think it would have made a lot more things easier. I wish that I knew that the, the two golden rules, that number one, the wife is always right. Number two, if I think she's wrong, slap myself and go back to rule number one. I wish I knew that going into marriage. I wish I knew that um, if at first I don't succeed, try doing it my wife's way, right? I wish that I knew that. I wish there was like a survivor's guide to marriage. I wish there was a survivor's guide to having kids. Like I wish when I had kids that someone told me, never change a nappy midstream. That would have been handy, right, when I first became a parent. Um, I wish that that somebody told me, uh, let's go to the next one. I wish that someone told me that having small children is like a blender with no lid. I wish somebody told me that. It would have taken a lot of stress out of my life. I wish, I wish someone told me that children will always quote me correctly on the things that I wish I never said, right? I wish I was given that kind of survivor's guide when I first had kids. Sometimes I wish that there was a survivor's guide to this grand idea called life and its seeming ambiguity. You know, why is it that on this blue planet that humanity shares, so often it seems like that pain and suffering flourish um, while innocence is destroyed? Why is it that in this world we see pain and suffering? Even in the Bible, there's this guy named Job who asks God this. Job says, why am I a good person oppressed, yet you seem to smile on the plans of the wicked. Even a guy in the Bible is saying, God, where's the survivor's guide to this thing we call life? Where's the survivor's guide? Where's all the tips and tools to get through all these things that seemingly come my way? Tonight I want to talk on, I guess, how can we reconcile a good God with a suffering world? How can we do that? Every Sunday we preach about how good Jesus is. Yet on Monday when we read the Australian, we see how bad the world is. So how do we reconcile that for us and for our world? So how do we deal with the problem of suffering in our lives and the lives around us? Is there a survivor's guide? Well, tonight and then next month, I wanna give us a survivor's guide to the war of the worlds. And I wanna speak to this thought, a survivor's guide to the war of the worlds. But before we get there, I want us to go to our foundational scripture tonight and we're gonna look at where I think pain and suffering begin and why pain and suffering is in this world. So are you ready? Yeah, one per, everyone's nervous, <laughs> no pain and suffering. Tonight, I wanna to talk about the existence of evil and how the war began. And we see it in Genesis chapter three, verses 14 to 15, it says this. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. We're gonna unpack this tonight. Let's just pray. Lord, help us to unpack your word tonight. Lord, help us uh, uh, see that you are good. God, and that no matter what happens in our world, we can turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a few things happening in the scripture that I wanna unpack. Number one, um, why is God talking to a snake? We're gonna look at that. Why is that happening? Um, number two, what did the snake do or the serpent do to tick God off? Because God's pretty cranky right now. Number three, we're gonna look at, um, what is the hostility that has now been caused. Because it seems like that God is angry with this snake and this snake is angry with humankind. So we're gonna look at that and then we're gonna try and finish off with, you know, when does this war of pain and suffering end? The whole idea of pain and suffering and, and trying to find the tension for me happened in 2013. I used to believe that, um, you know, that God had a hand in everything and nothing happened except by the permission of God. I, uh, you know, there was that struggle that I used to believe that. And then in 2013, something happened that really shifted something in me. I did a funeral of a two-day-old kid. And when I went to do the funeral and, and doing all the prep, it, something in me struggled because I used to preach all the sermons that God knew the child in the womb, that God had a purpose and a plan for that child's life and it was a plan not to harm the child and, but to give the child a hope and a future. But now I'm doing a funeral of a child who has no hope, certainly has no future. And so there was this tension in me of, how do I reconcile this? I've, I've been preaching for so long that God's good and all this stuff, but this pain is now affecting me. How do I manage this? And it got even really more real when I started counseling the family. Family, they weren't in our church, they were in and out, very loosely connected, but this, this lady, the, the mum had Christian friends and they tried to do their best to counsel her, but as we were talking, one of the things that came up that she said to me, she said, Tim, I don't understand, my Christian friends have, have said that, you know, God makes everything happen for a purpose and, you know, God's the one that gives God's the one that takes and that, you know, uh, they told me that I've got a lesson to learn in this pain. And she asked me this, this she, she said, so why did God take my child and what lesson do I have to learn? And for the first time in my ministry, really, I was speechless. Like I, had, I had no pastoral advice to give because even I was struggling with this idea that this innocent child is no longer alive, yet there's all this, evil that seems to fly. How, how do we manage that? And knowing what I know about God and, 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 and walking more with Jesus, I've come to a conclusion. I wish that I could go back and say to her, because what she was really asking was this. She was really asking, if God is good, why has he done this? That's what she was really asking me. Really what she was doing was questioning the character of God. And I didn't go, like in, in that circumstance, she can do that. What I really would love to go back and tell this woman, if I could, is I would say this, that the mystery and existence of evil and pain has nothing to do with God's character or purpose, but about the incomprehensible complexity of a cosmos engulfed in a spiritual war. See, you need to understand tonight 
that we are in the middle of a spiritual war. You know, we don't really talk about this often, but the truth is that we are. The truth is that there is someone for you and that there is someone against you. The truth is that there is a war between godliness and evil, that there is a war between peace and suffering. There is a war between wholeness and pain, and you and I find ourselves stuck in the middle of the spiritual war. And it all begins, I think, right, in this scripture that we just read. It all begins here. When God creates this amazing, beautiful world, and then he creates humanity, and he says to humanity, listen, you can have everything that I have just created for you. You can have this one tree plus every other tree, except because I love you, I'm gonna give you free will, you can't have this one. You can have anything else you want. The options are endless, but because I love you, I'm gonna give you free will. I want you to choose right, to, um, to love, just as I choose, and um, I'm gonna create this. And the story goes that, uh, the Bible shares the story that Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the afternoon. They would walk with God physically, presently, wholly. They were one with God. But then something happens. There's this one moment in the story where this serpent comes and begins to talk to them and begins to make them second guess the character of God. The serpent asks questions like this. Did God really say not to eat from the tree? The serpent starts putting thoughts like this. Uh, God just doesn't want you to know what he knows. That's all. He's scared that you'll become like him. And humanity, at that point in time, believed this lie, that the character of God can be questioned, that the character of God isn't good, that God doesn't have your best interests at heart for them. And so they trade oneness with God for likeness with God. What they traded was a life where they would be one with God always to now they want to know what's good and wrong for their own life. And so instead of being one with God, they become like God, hoping that every single decision that they make is a good decision. But here's the problem. When you make humans choose what's right and wrong, bad things happen, right? Um, who knows that when Cain was angry, he thought it was the right thing to do to kill his brother. Who knows that when David right, wasn't doing the right thing and in a moment of lust, he chose to commit adultery with Bathsheba and then kill a husband. He thought that was right in that situation. Ananias and Sapphira, in their moment of greed, thought it was right to lie about their finances. And so Adam and Eve trade oneness with God for likeness with God. Humanity trades oneness for likeness. And it seems to be that from this point in time, where humanity decided to choose the lie of the snake, that the character of God can be questioned, that pain, suffering, and hurt begin to take root in our existence. This seems to be the very beginning of it. Not because God was mean, but because humanity rejected the oneness and closeness of God. Now, if there's a lie, then there must be a truth. And the truth is this, that God was incarnated into human form through Jesus, right? Jesus is God incarnate, which means this. Every time that we wanna look at the character of God, we have to look at it through the existence of Jesus. Because if Jesus 
is God on earth, right, is God, the human form of God, we have to look at who God is through Jesus. Now you need to know tonight that the more that you look at Christ, the more that you come to a conclusion that Jesus does not enter the world to give hope to some and suffering to others. You never see in the New Testament Jesus going to a leper and saying, hey, how'd you get leprosy? Oh, you're hanging out with those guys? Oh, you're a muppet. It's your fault, all right? Jesus never says that. Jesus never comes and says, hey, listen, you were born to see. This guy wasn't, so we're just gonna make you blind so that you understand his pain. Jesus never did that. In fact, every time that Jesus comes into a situation, he brings life, light, and increase. Every single time. Every time he comes to alleviate pain, he comes to kick down suffering. So we have to come to this conclusion that pain and suffering is not from God, right? In fact, God wants to alleviate pain and suffering in your world and in our world all the time. Jesus actually came to be our survivor's guide to the war of the world. See, there is a war of two worlds that we're in. There's the world of God and the world of Satan, or he who shall not be named, right? <laughs> there's two worlds, and there's a war between these two worlds. The reason is this. Satan, the reason why Satan hates God is because Satan wanted to become like God, right? He wanted to be like God, but God just kicked him out of heaven. And now he does everything he can to take anything that reminds him of God down. Now, here's a truth. The Bible says that you're made in the image of God which means this, that every time you go to bed, every time you wake up, every moment that you exist, you're reminding the enemy of God because you're made in his image, which means this, that you've got this big target on your forehead. He wants you out because you're made in God's good image. You, in essence, are good, right? Because God made you, you're in his image and he's in you. And now there's this war between God and Satan for our attention. And this war that we find ourselves in, it just seems that ambiguity and random circumstances exist within this spiritual war framework. Things happen, life happens, right? Now, and it's all a part of this spiritual war. But tonight, I wanna echo some words of scripture and give us a survivor's guide to the war of the worlds. Are you ready? So what I wanna do is I wanna give you some survival tips on how to face pain, on how to face suffering when life seems to be throwing all the garbage at you. How can you live a life of hope? How can you live a life of joy through all that? Are you ready? Survival tip number one. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Survival tip number one. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 2 says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Get rid of everything in your life that's slowing you down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Check this out. Verse two says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Um, there's this one time when um, I was a youth pastor, Kat and I were newly married. We were youth pastors. 
and this family in our church was moving back to the UK and they rung us up and said, hey, Pastor Tim and Kat, listen, you guys are youth pastors and newly married, so we know you have no money and have nothing, so come to our place and we're gonna give you whatever you want out of our house. So we went into their house and we picked out like beds and sofas and all this cool stuff and we got this truck full of furniture, so, so cool. And as we were leaving, I saw that there was this big sailboat in the guy's backyard. I said to him, what are you doing with the sailboat? Is that yours? The, the, the wife goes, he's tried to sell it, but no one's buying it. If it's not gone in a week, we'll donate it to the youth group. I was like, yes, there's one thing that every youth pastor has ever wanted, Pastor Brett, it's a sailboat, right? And so for the first time in my life, I began praying for a boat, right? I felt, I felt like a real man, right? Praying for a boat. And because uh, all real men, I just think that all real men have boats. This is what I think. Hey, hey my brother, <laughs> Peter's a real... I don't have a boat, I know, so I've got to get one for our, for our youth group. Anyway, so I started praying, Lord, don't let this boat sell, right? It's a funny prayer to pray. Anyway, a week later, um, she calls up and says, hey, we don't sell it. If you can come get it right now, it's yours. I'm like, yes. So I rung up uh, my only leader who at that stage who had a, a tow ball in his car. And so we went around, we picked up the sailboat. As we're driving off, uh, one of my, my leader who was with me, um, he says, do you know how to sail? I said, Nah. I said, do you? He goes, nah. I said, we've got to find someone to teach us then because this is going to be awesome, right? And so we found a guy in our church that knows how to sail and we drove straight to the dam and um, took us a few hours to put the boat in the water. We had no idea what we're doing. Anyway, we get on the boat and we start sailing. Now, I've got to be honest, I didn't know much about sailing. I thought that sailing was whichever way the wind was going, that's where you were going. That's what I thought. And so I thought if you were going across a dam, if the wind was going that way, you're going to have a picnic on that side until the wind changes. And then when the wind changes, you can come back this way. That's what I thought sailing was. And so we get out and we start going and we're out and on this dam, we're so far out. And I start getting a little bit scared because I have no idea what's happening. And I said to the guy, and it was really windy, I said, hey, how do we get back? And he said, oh, I'll teach you. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Anyway, church, I learned how to sail that day. So I can now sail. So if you ever find someone who's giving away a sailboat and you don't know how to sail, you can call Pastor Brett. I'll tell him what I know, okay? <laughs> so we're out there and it's time to come back. And he says, you have to do this thing called tacking. Does anyone know what tacking is? Tacking is, so I, I found this unbelievable that you can sail against the wind and get to your destination. The whole idea is tacking. What you have to do is you have to um, have your sail in a certain way that when the wind blows, it kind of pushes you sideways, right? But then you can turn your rudder so you can move forward a little bit. And what you do is you move forward sideways. And then what you do is you change your sail so that you come back this way and you move sideways forward a little bit more. And you keep like doing this, like zigzagging, right? And you're getting closer and closer. He said, the trick is this. Find a spot on the horizon that you want to get to, and then you tack to that. So every time you're going sideways, watch where you want to go. Keep that focus. Whatever, whatever you want to get to, keep focused on that. And although you're going sideways, although the wind's coming against you, you will most always get to where you want to get to. See, sometimes life is exactly like this. Sometimes the wind of life seems strong. Sometimes life is just gonna throw a heap of stuff at you and you're gonna feel like you're gonna get lost. You're gonna feel like you're just gonna get thrown wherever life is taking you. But you need to know, 
right? That even though it's going to be hard, even though sometimes life is going to be blowing in the wrong direction, Jesus needs to be the center of our approach. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're fixing our eyes on the destination that God wants for us. No one uses a GPS without punching in a destination. That would be silly to just drive and follow nothing. So why would we live like that, right? No matter what life throws at you, whether tonight you've been through stuff in the past, whether you're going through pain and suffering now, if you haven't been through pain and suffering, you will write this stuff down now, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because no matter what comes at you, if you can keep focused on God, you might go off track a little bit, but eventually you'll get to where Jesus wants you to get to. You need to know that God is a jealous God. He does mind where you end up. He does mind what kind of wind you're following. God is jealous when something or someone else has our attention and not him. God is jealous that instead of looking to him some, and being one with him, that we choose our eyes, uh, that we choose to fix our eyes on other things that aren't him. Things like unforgiveness. God gets jealous when in the game we call life, we're fixing our eyes on revenge, what that person did to us. I've got to get back at them. Unforgiveness, I've got to get back at them. God gets jealous when we're fixing our destination there because he's on the bank saying, hey, no, come this way. I've got something better for you. He gets jealous when we fix our eyes on anxiety and stress God's on the bank saying, hey, no, come, I've got life. Be one with me. Don't think that you know what is right is right. It's not. Because sometimes in that moment, unforgiveness does feel good. Sometimes in that moment, it feels nice to get angry. But it's not the destination that God has for us. We first need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's survival number one. Let's go to survival tip number two. Survival tip number two. Remember that God is with you. Remember that God is with you. Um, okay, to say that all pain and suffering comes from God, I think is to not know God. Um, because once again, if you look at God through Jesus, Jesus never came to bring pain and suffering. Um, in fact, you have to come to the conclusion that God himself is afflicted with as much pain and suffering as what we are, right? Pastor John preached about it this morning that Jesus cried. Jesus felt pain. Jesus felt suffering. So the more that you look at Jesus, if Jesus is the epitome of the character of God, then God himself suffers. Maybe even more, think about it, right? God designs creation, makes humankind, Humankind rejects God. Creation is cursed. It's a bad day for God. God then sends Jesus to reconcile creation and humankind. Humankind kill Jesus. Humankind continue to kill the earth, right? It's a bad day for God. You need to understand that if there's a broken heart in this place tonight, it's the heart of God. Even God's heart breaks even God still suffers 
And although God is good, God himself suffers. John 16, 33, Jesus said this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so although Jesus being God also suffered, He overcame that suffering. In fact, this scripture in Genesis, theologians say is the introduction of Jesus into the Bible story. Because at the start, it talks about this enemy nipping at the, at the feet of this human, of this person. And this person then crushes the head of the enemy. At the very end of the book, it says that Jesus goes into the hell. It goes into hell, walks up to Satan and puts his uh, boot on the neck of Satan. You need to understand that although God still suffers, every time someone's suffering, God is suffering because He's calling creation. He's calling humanity back to Himself. So every time someone rejects Him, every time someone does something that is not of God, it's a breaking of God's heart. But God through Jesus overcomes that pain. And you need to know this morning that God is with you. Although this world is a war zone, random, ambiguous hell happens, you need to know you're not alone. Why do people um, who go through bad events join um, support networks? Things like losing a child in childbirth or you know, PTSD or leukemia, Alcoholics Anonymous. Why do people join these groups? It's because we've realized that when we realize we're not alone in our suffering, hope is easier to grasp. It's easier to find hope when you're walking with someone who's overcome it, right? Or who's going through it with you. When you place your trust in God, you can be rest assured that God is with you. But when we believe that God has a hand in my pain and in my suffering, That's when we start believing the lie that was told thousands of years ago to Adam and Eve, that the character of God can't be trusted. But you need to know that God is for you. He's here with you. Just as He suffers, we suffer, and we suffer, and He suffers. But He's overcome. And no matter what's happening right now, no matter what's happened in the past, you can overcome with Jesus. When we focus our eyes on Him, our focus on our pain shifts to how we are pained to how pain God must be. In fact, Romans goes one step further. It says this, it says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are his heirs of God's glory. There's some good things. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering, right? Here's a theological thought for you to go to bed tonight to think about. Maybe the idea of suffering happens simply because God suffers. And if we are to be His heir in His glory, we have to suffer with Him. And so because God's heart is broken, now ours was. Just a thought. (laughs) But you do need to know that God is with you. Philippians 4, 7 says, Then you'll experience God's peace, which is anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ which comes right back to the very beginning where you had the two choices. The choice was either to be one with God or to be like God. You have a choice in every moment of pain and suffering in your life. 
do I choose to fix my eyes on Jesus and know that He's with me and be, and be one with Him? Or do I choose to react in my own understanding of what I think is right? Which usually leads us to just following with the wind, being blown in the wind, and just taking that wherever life takes us. And we end up being hurt. We end up having regret. We end up being cranky. We end up having anxiety and stress because we never fixed our eyes and didn't know that someone was with us. You need to know someone is with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast.